Hello and welcome to Le Monde Diplomatique's podcast for October 2011. My name is George Miller, and each month I bring you an in-depth interview with one of our contributors. This month, my guest is Eric Alterman, who last appeared in our podcast exactly two years ago. Eric Alterman is a Distinguished Professor of English and Journalism at Brooklyn College and CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, a columnist for The Nation, The Forward and The Daily Beast, and a Senior Fellow at the Centre for American Progress, The Nation Institute and The World Policy Institute. In the October issue of Le Monde Diplomatique, Eric writes about Obama's failure to deliver on campaign promises and his apparent reluctance even to try to do so. Dealmaker, not world shaker, is Alterman's verdict, and the terms of the deals being made in Washington are increasingly being set by the Republicans. As a witty headline in The Onion put it in August of this year, debt ceiling deal required tough concessions by both Democrats and Democrats alike. Eric Alterman's piece begins with a reminder of the Mario Cuomo quote, campaign in poetry but govern in prose, and goes on to look at the ways in which Obama's record is looking decidedly prosaic. I began by asking Eric about the disappointment felt by those who elected a president who promised bold and swift action. Well, Obama has disappointed different people in different ways. The main way in which liberals have been disappointed by Obama in terms of the way he governed versus the way he campaigned is that he promised he would take on the system in Washington of um, money driving everything and lobbyists getting their way all the time. And he totally decided not to do that. It's very clear, even he would admit that, that he decided that the economic crisis was so so demanding at that moment that it would be impossible to try and reform the system as he simultaneously saved the economy. The second thing, the way Obama appealed to moderates and to some conservatives was by promising that he would end the bickering between the parties and he would ensure that uh, both sides would get along, uh, liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans. And what's happened instead is that the Republicans have made a decision not to cooperate with anything that Obama has done and to try and stymie his agenda at every turn. And yet he has refused to rethink this part of his agenda because he thinks this is what most appeals to independent voters about him. And so the Republicans are sticking a knife in his back at every turn, and he is turning around to thank them for it and failing to fight for any of the things he said he was going to fight for as a candidate. So he made the wrong decision from a liberal standpoint in both cases. He didn't clean up the system that is driven by money. He, he played within it and therefore appeared to be just as corrupt as any other politician, or just as compromised, not corrupt, compromised. And he has failed to fight for the priorities he campaigned for. So he's been a double disappointment from the standpoint of his liberal support. And how possible is it to distinguish between the extent to which it's simply the system is, is set against the kind of change that he promised in his campaign and how much it is his individual human uh, shortcomings that, uh, that we're experiencing? Well, you know, I wrote a book uh, that came out earlier this year called Kabuki Democracy, where I took the position that it was the system and that the system was kind of a straitjacket on any liberal president and that Obama was really doing almost as much as anyone could hope for by trying to make the system work. Again, he could have taken on the system, but he chose not to do that, and that decision may very well have been the right decision at the time. But uh, since I published that book, uh, which came out in um, January, Obama has moved to the right with the Republicans, and the Republicans elected a very right-wing Congress 
and Obama has sought to compromise with them, even though their demands are considered unreasonable, even by most Americans. And so uh, he hasn't been willing, really, to fight for anything. So in the beginning, it was possible for one to say that he needed to make these compromises in order to pass the health care bill, in order to pass the financial reform bill, in order to get the stimulus passed, and that he did have significant accomplishments. But since then, since the Republicans have taken over both houses of Congress, he really has become just kind of a, a doormat for them. And, uh, and, he, and, he's, and he's completely reversed himself on environmental issues, on economic issues, compared to the man that he was on uh, the day he took office. So I think that um, it is possible to distinguish. I think the first year, basically, he was playing within the system. And the second year, he's really turned, or the second half of the second year, he's basically turned around and decided to, to become a, a corporate-friendly politician that, uh, that really is allowing the poor and the middle class to fend for themselves in the system. And, and whatever part the system may have played, it does sound like a tactical error to insult your own supporter base, which, which he did before the, the ter- 2010 midterm elections. Yes. I mean, it's, it's quite common, actually, when Democrats come to office. Republicans have a habit of um, playing to their base and uh, actually uh, praising it and catering to it as much as possible, whereas Democrats find their base to be an annoyance. And they feel it to be overly idealistic and insufficiently sophisticated about politics. Part of the reason for that is that conservative people who call themselves conservatives make up about a third of the electorate, whereas people who call themselves liberal only make up about 20% of the electorate. And so the politicians feel that if they uh, that the liberals are just unfair and demanding that politicians do unpopular things, they're going to cost them their jobs. But in fact, even though only 20 people call themselves liberal well over 50% of people support policies that are called liberal. They just don't like the label because the label has been attached to so many negative qualities by the conservative press and, and other right-wingers and the think tanks and so forth. So the, I think they're making a fundamental strategic error in this case. And, and it is always just plain dumb to attack your own base because uh, then they won't come out. And, and Obama's going to face a real problem with having blacks and minorities and Jews and particularly young people come out in 2012 the way they did in 2008. Almost nobody thinks that's going to happen. I was fascinated by the, um, the opinion of the political psychologist that you quoted who says that Obama never blames anyone as if the cause of other people's misery had no agency. And obviously, if you're tackling things like a financial crisis or the environment, to, to ascribe no blame anywhere is, is, is really quite a, a serious shortcoming, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it doesn't allow your side to mobilize. And the Republicans have created all these enemies, Obama being the primary one. And Obama, again, he just sort of puts his hands up in front of his face and lets them hit them. And he ends up, to mix my metaphors, playing on their field. So the issues are defined by Republicans because they stake out their positions. And he doesn't fight back. I mean, this financial crisis had real villains. It, it was caused by greed of a group of individuals. And Obama refuses to point that out. And those same individuals are now, and groups, are now stymieing the agenda that he was elected to put into place to curb their behavior. And again, he, he can't bring himself to say this. He'll probably end up saying it when it comes time to run for president again next year. But it's too late to do anything about it. And he has allowed himself to be demonized, 
literally by crazy people who say that he was born in Kenya and that he's a Muslim and he's trying to turn the United States into a Muslim state. This is something that significant numbers, well over half of Republicans actually believe. And, and, he, and he hasn't, he, he's just let it happen. He has a completely different idea of how to govern than he did of how to campaign, and it's much less successful. So is his greatest hope for success in 2012 that those crazy people find an ever greater voice and, and he then appears as really the, the, by far the, the saner, safer choice in, in, if yes, faced I, with other alternatives? I think he's, he's running as the quote-unquote adult. He's running as the eat-your-peas candidate and telling the children that they have to behave. And he's, he's making it appear as if the children are on both sides, when in fact the children, the, the radicals, are, in, are running the Republican Party, whereas those people who would be considered radicals in this country, and probably not in most European countries, are quite marginalized in the Democratic Party. He's really cauterizing his own side. And, and in addition to which, it looks very much, today anyway, as if Mitt Romney is going to be the uh, Republican nominee, and he's, he's by far the most moderate of the major candidates there, and he will be the one that is most difficult to demonize in this respect. Most Democrats were expecting Rick Perry or one of these other crazy people, but if they nominate Romney, Obama's going to have a very hard time. Um, he, he's been very careful to paint himself as someone who can be trusted in a way that the other Republicans are not. You end your, your piece, Eric, by saying that with unemployment at 9.1%, it's a, it's a pretty tough call to, to get reelected if, if the economy and jobs stay in that situation. Well, no president since the 1930s has ever been elected with unemployment over 7.8%. So 9.1% is a really tough task. And actually, you might say that Obama deserves credit for merely being in the game at this point. But if he's going to run this kind of, if he's going to run with that around his neck, which he is, because no economists think that the economy is going to improve rapidly in this period, then you would think he would want his own side fighting for him. But he doesn't. I was talking to Eric Alterman. You can read his article, The Compromiser-in-Chief, in the October issue of Le Monde Diplomatique. Eric's most recent book, which he mentioned in the interview, Kabuki Democracy, is out now in paperback and also available as an e-book from Nation Books. Do also visit Le Monde Diplomatique's website at mondediplo.com. There, subscribers can read the current issue of the paper and access a complete archive, as well as explore the Diplomatic Channel section, which offers articles, blogs, maps, images, and a podcast archive dating back to 2008. I hope you'll join me again next month for another in-depth interview with one of our contributors. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.